Welcome to Sober Shockingly, a podcast about the unexpected joys, tears, and surprises that come with sobriety. I'm Trina. I'm your host, a former messy party girl, mom of two, coach, and content creator. After becoming sober from alcohol, I unapologetically became obsessed with this up-leveled version of myself. So I decided to share my raw, honest, and sometimes shocking experience in this alcohol-free world. Join us for some relentlessly real conversations about sobriety. Let's do this. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Sober Shockingly. I'm Trina. I'm your host, and I am here with author Meg Geisweit. Hi, how are you? Hi, Trina. I'm great. Happy Friday. How are you? I am so good. I'm so happy to have you on. Your book, Intoxicating Lives, was like such an eye-opener for me, so I'm so ready to dive into everything alcohol culture and just everything that you wrote in that book was magnificent. Um, So you did really great. (laughs) Thank you. Well, you know, I, I really couldn't find a book that was similar to my story in 2019. And um, I had realized that I had fallen into what is called gray area drinking. So I thought, Oh, I'll just read every book there is on gray area drinking. And you know, read the stories and see what, if it resonated with me and I I couldn't find one. (laughs) And so, um, I, they say you write the book that you can't find for yourself. And so that's exactly what I did. I was, I've always been a big journaler and love to journal and, um, started journaling from day one in my sober curious journey. And I didn't want to break up with alcohol when I first started. And I take the reader really through, that journey of not wanting to break up with alcohol. And I think most of us start at that place, right? We think we can moderate. We think we can get this under control and um, realize that I had fallen under the five most intoxicating lies about alcohol and my self-worth. And I think, you know, the second phase of becoming alcohol-free is really, it forces you to go inward and really look at how you're caring for yourself, how you love yourself, um, how you're showing up for yourself. And so that's kind of how the book ends because it opens up with a lot of stories of where I had a lot of messaging young, very young that I was not good enough. I wouldn't amount to much. I had some traumas. And so all of that kind of led into um, a lot of the ways I was using alcohol in my life. Mm-hmm. And I think the way you like structured it about like, kind of like bringing to light some of those like common traumas common like things we hear especially as women that kind of bring us down um yeah I think that was really relatable especially to my story like reading the book I was like is she like writing about me this is weird (laughs) (laughs) it's funny you say that because I hear so many women they're like I I felt like you were in my head and you were literally putting pen to paper about all of my thoughts so to me that's the greatest honor because um, the mission of the book was for women to feel seen and heard and loved and validated and to give them the permission slip to heal not only their relationship with alcohol, but how they viewed themselves and their self-worth. And so um, it's been such a honor to hear from so many women you know, around the world, quite frankly, who've read the book and have gotten that feeling from the book. So that was its its mission and and it's done its job. So I'm just, you know, really honored to 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 try to reach more women that are stuck in the space because in 2019 I felt very alone. I was like thinking that there was something wrong with me. I had a ton of shame and guilt around my vicious drinking cycle and I was really stuck in that detox to retox loop where it was one to three glasses a night, but I always said the next day, not today, like, I'm not going to do it tonight. I'm, I'm in control of this. And I would do a punishing workout to prove that I was in control and that I I had it all together. I would do well at work, you know, when the sale and I was like, see, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. And my marriage wasn't a, a disaster or anything. There were no exter- external consequences, but as soon as the sun would set and the kids were taken care of and my job was taken care of, really wine became my self-care in the evenings, my me time. And that is the first lie in the book, which is I deserve a drink. And when I talk to 
communities, um, most of the women say that that is the number one lie that they have fallen into, which really closely ties to the mommy wine culture that, you know, my kids wine. So I wine behind every great mom is a bottle of wine. Like we have been sold this message that this is how we take care of ourselves. This is the permission slip to, to say it's okay, that it's hard and, and that you want to rest. And what we don't realize is that it's compounding our anxiety, increasing our depression and making us more exhausted. And I just finally got to a place where I was sick and tired of being sick and tired, even though everyone around me was telling me my drinking looked just like theirs, including my own therapist who told me, you know, I don't think that you have a drinking problem. Um, I think you're thinking about it too much. And so what I would say to your listeners is it, you know, we can have healthcare professionals, wellness instructors, therapists, friends, family, tell us that our drinking is just fine because we live in a pro-drinking culture. But if it, if your inner knowing, your intuition is telling you this doesn't feel right, this is not serving us, what am I getting from this? Listen to that because ultimately that is what led me on my sober, sober curious journey. And I am so grateful that I listened to that inner knowing because now it's what I check in with every day. Mm -hmm. And I think you touched on that perfectly. Isn't it kind of like scary how, like, like you said, like your therapist, like your person next door, they can like physically drink the same as you, but it affects us all like emotionally, mentally, like physically on the inside differently. And it's, it's kind of like, also, how dare they like target mothers who are stressed out because parenting is hard. If you don't have kids yet, just believe your friends with kids because it's rough. Yeah. <laughs> um, it is. And we don't have a way of being, we're not taught in motherhood, like where can I go to rest? And that's really what we need, right? Is rest. And you know, we haven't even been taught, how do I rest? Like, what does that look like? And so often mothers feel guilty for resting. So when you have a community of mommy wine culture that's saying, come on in, it's okay to say it's hard. It's okay to drink a whole bottle. It's okay, you know, to like say this is tough. Of course, people are drawn to that. Women are drawn to that because they're looking for that place of rest. And so I go into in my book into seven types, different types of rest um, by Dr. Dalton Smith, because I don't think as a society, we talk enough about like, what does rest look like? And that there's seven different types of rest. I had no idea. Um, so, you know, I it's not just talking about it, but it's also giving women tools of how to regulate their nervous system and take care of themselves in a healthy manner. Yeah. And I think that's really important. I, I remember even early sobriety and especially when I was drinking, my idea of rest was just to like rot in my bed all day. Um, and I would really in early sobriety be like, Oh, I can't like lay in bed because that's what I used to do when I was drinking. So I love that there's like different kinds of rest that we need to kind of just look inside ourselves and see what do we need? And like, take the rest that we deserve without shame. And I feel like exactly what you're saying. Oh, we're not taught that as mothers. We're barely taught that as women, really. They're like, self-care, take a bubble bath, you'll be fine. And it's like, yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, you know, we say manicures and pedicures are self-care. They're nice, don't get me wrong, they're nice, but they're not going to emotionally regulate you and make you feel <laughs> like you've dealt with some tough emotions that are gonna rise to the surface when you're no longer drinking. I mean, if you've had a really hard day, you need to get that, whether it's anxiety, anger, frustration, irritability, you got to get it out of your body. I and mean, if you're having your nails done, that's, you know, a nice to do, but it's not going to actually resolve the issue. Going for a walk, sitting in meditation, talking to a therapist or a coach um, or a trusted friend and community in the sober community is so wonderful. Um, there's so many things that we can do that when we drank, we got that 20 minute buzz, but then we were chasing it the whole rest of the night. And so in 20 minutes, you can go for a 20 minute walk, 20 minute meditation or breath work or a 20 minute conversation with someone and really truly work through those emotions versus sitting down, guzzling down the intoxicating lies of alcohol that just are going to make you wake up, feel like crap. The problems aren't dealt with. They're still there. 
and just adds to your exhaustion. And as moms, we're constantly saying like, I don't have enough time, you know, I'm exhausted. And then we drink down these lies and just add to it all. It's, it actually is counterproductive. Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting when you look back at like the hamster wheel, like the cycle, like, oh, they told me to drink. So I'm going to, and I feel better for like five minutes. And then the next day it's like 10 times worse. And when you stop drinking and you take a step back, it's like, that doesn't even make sense. Like, how did I like fall for this? Like yeah. lie. <laughs> when I read um, Annie Grace's this naked mind in my beginning of my journey. And I was like starting to ask myself, like, why am I using a depressant to celebrate? Why am I having a carcinogen with my kale salad? Like what, this is a toxin <laughs> and I'm in pharmaceutical <laughs> sales. Like I, I just started like reading all this stuff, all the science. And I was the truth of what alcohol truly is. And I was like, wait a second, we aren't war warned about this. And this is where we can lose the shame, right? Is that we aren't warned and we almost have, we have to think we have a problem to kind of seek out this information. I mean, thankfully it's coming out more and more now, but I can tell you in 2019, I, I, it wasn't like it is today where there's so many studies out and about about it. But um, so I think that when we can view ourselves as like doing the best that we could with the information that we had at the time, we've just been duped. And that's why I'm so angry at the big alcohol industry and just I will forever be on this mission of trying to you know free women from this chains of alcohol because we aren't warned. And then we're shamed when we can't moderate this highly addictive drug. Like it, it doesn't make any sense, you know, and it's just a very isolating, shameful place to be. And we need to lose that shame and guilt around it because we've been totally duped. We have, and it's so not like embarrassing when I look back at it, but like it was alcohol companies are so smart. Like their marketing is smart. They are not like unintelligent. Like they know what they're doing. And I think I was talking with someone the other day who read this article about how like, you know, the, when you think of an alcoholic or you think of someone that drinks too much, it's normally like this older guy, like at the bar um, and things like that. But like those men are like dying off. So they need a right. new a new breed. And I feel like it's definitely moms. Um, I think women. Moms. women. Yeah. Rose yeah. all day. They knew that we have a lack of support and help and are exhausted and vulnerable. And they preyed on that. Mm -hmm. you know, it's sick. And, and the, the thing that makes me the most, and I, and I don't say that's with like judgment. Cause I was deep into this culture where I was posting photos of you know, alcohol, I'm putting on it on a pedestal, but literally women are making women sick. And, you know, we give care packages with alcohol in it, like that's supposed to take care of you. I mean, it's just, it doesn't even make sense, <laughs> but this is what's been etched into our brains. And, um, and it's, it's sad to me because it's heartbreaking, especially for our children to see it. And that's kind of how my book opens up is what I saw as a child, my parents using alcohol at country club parties and, you know, way to let off steam and connect and have fun. And, and those messages start very early for us. And then they're reinforced on TV and in movies and um, that it's glamorized and it's the way to help yourself and um, you deserve it. And all these lies that are just not true. And so when you live in a culture where everyone around you is doing it, every message around you is saying that it's fine and normal and encouraged, it, you feel when you quit, like you're in the matrix or something, you're like, you know, fish out of water. You're like, what? This is bananas. Does everybody understand what we're doing to our bodies, our brains, our minds Our you know, and it just, it, it takes um, a lot of courage. So I just applaud anybody who's on the journey, you know, just to keep going and that, I think eventually you're going to be on the right side of history. I think, you know, as more and more science and studies come out proving how toxic this is for us, it will have a cigarette moment down the road. Um, I think we're probably about 30 years away from that, but it's, it's coming. It's mm -hmm. definitely coming as more and more research comes out. So you're doing the right thing if you're on this journey. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I think it's, it is really interesting. Um, 
especially like when I was younger, I remember looking at people like who were smoking and I was like, that's bad for you. Like you shouldn't smoke. But I never thought that about alcohol because I grew up, it was always there. Like my family's both like, um, both sides like to party. So I feel like whether we were with like my dad's side or my mom's side or whatever, it was always there. So I never viewed it as bad. And I really am glad that I like, I tell my kids now, my kids are only seven and nine, but I'm really open. I'm like, I don't drink. It's bad for you. Like, this is why, like, it's not fun. It's not cute. And I'm glad I'm trying my best, like instill that at a young age. So when they grow up, they're like, I don't want to do that. Like, that doesn't sound fun to me. I hope they see that part of it and not just like my mom couldn't drink because she was wild. (laughs) I hope they like (laughs) see the back end of how important it is to not put those toxins in your body. Yeah. I mean, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. Our kids are watching us and you're modeling to them that you can have fun without a drink that when life gets hard, you're not going to pad yourself, you know, at every turn, that you're actually going to work through it. And here are the tools of what you do. Like my son said to me recently, like I had a really bad day at work and came home very frustrated. And he was like, mom, do you need to go for a walk? Now, how many, how many kids say, mom, do you need a glass of wine? You know, right. I mean, that hits home, right? Mm -hmm. So like, these kids are watching how we're, what we're doing and how we're handling life. And that was one of my greatest choices because I, I have a story in the book and this is really for anybody who's had a sidestep in their journey. I, I quit drinking in November of 2019. I had not drank for 15 months and during COVID I hit an effort moment and I thought I caught my daughter vaping and Um, She lied to me about it on top of that. And so Mm -hmm. it was this enormous fight with her at work. I was struggling. I was struggling with some stuff in my marriage. Like it just all came to a head. And I went downstairs and I just like hit the wall and hit that effort moment and grabbed the wine and poured myself a big glass of red wine. And I started drinking it. And my daughter came down the stairs and was like, mommy, is this my fault? And it was like my why got slapped across my face. And I thought, here I am telling her not to do an addictive substance like vaping. And here I am guzzling down an addictive substance. Like this doesn't even make sense, right? Mm -hmm. But I still had this lurking intoxicating lie in the back of my brain that if everything, if the shit hit the fan, that alcohol would be there. And so I still had a belief that it was a crutch. And I think until we get into our minds that it's neither a crutch nor a reward, you know, when people talk to me and they say, well, I really want to try to moderate. I'm like, well, then you still have a belief, some intoxicating lie that this is providing something for your life. And I would just get curious about it. Like, is that really true? Is it really rewarding you when you're waking up at 3am with anxiety and, you know, can't go back to bed? Like, just ask yourself these questions. Like, is it really providing what you think it is? Mm -hmm. And I think that is a really great takeaway because there are moments, even now, like I just, I passed my two years. I've been like trying to get sober since 2019. So since about the same time as you really, Mm. and it never worked. And I think it's because I would like have a glass and be like, oh, I'm not drinking as much as I did before. But then I would get, even worse. And then I would stop drinking and be like, oh, I'm not drinking as much as before. And then I would get even worse than the last time. And I think when I changed my mindset to be kind of exactly what you're saying, just saying like, yeah, this, I want this, this would probably give me some temporary relief, but is it worth the poison, the carcinogens? Is it worth the way my children will look at me if they see me? Is it worth um, the way I'll feel after? Is it worth all of the progress I've made? And is it that cool? Like, (laughs) do I actually need this? Can I replace this with like grape juice or like a non-alcoholic beer or like something else? Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, we have to almost go through those side steps to realize and make it click. Sometimes it's like Holly Whitaker says in her book, quit like a woman. You don't just get up and run the New York marathon. Like you train for it. Right. So while I'm not encouraging these sidesteps, I do believe that the, if you get curious as to, you know, why you did it and is it really giving you what you thought it would give you um, or is it adding to the exhaustion, the depression, the anxiety, you know, 
the feeling like crap, um, then, you know, we can move forward in our journey. And it just, it, it does, just does take time. And I think like, you know, this is where we can just lose the shame and judgment around it. If we're getting curious on what it is or is not providing for us and really, really move forward. But I had the same thing happen to me. Like when I would take breaks, I, it would come back with vengeance. Like it was, it was worse. <laughs> it was, it was terrible. <laughs> I'm like, okay, cool. I guess I shouldn't listen to myself. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then you're like, oh, wow, this, I really don't want to do this, you know, anymore. And so, um, you just have to get to that point where it just all starts to click for you. And, for some people, it's one try. And for some people, it's 400 tries, you know, and mm -hmm. everything's okay. Just going to bring up how I like earlier, you said that you journaled like your whole experience. Have you ever like looked back at that? And like, you know, now that you're like a few years, obviously a few years more sober than day one, yeah. like I want to talk about that process because I feel like journaling for me also has been super substantial to like seeing my growth and being like oh what I'm doing is worth it because like day to day it's like uh nothing's changing but then when you look back it's like whoa like you know I, I made all these big steps yes I think journaling is so cathartic for that reason like you see the little baby steps that are occurring in your transformation in your journal and I just journal one page a day but it's like if you look back you can see the leaps that were happening over time and for me, I have started a writing community because journaling is that and like transformative in my opinion, in that it helps you reconnect with that little girl within and really that inner knowing. And so I believe all the answers lie within us, but we don't slow down enough to hear those answers, to hear ourselves, to listen to what our deepest desires are, what brings us joy you know, as women, we're such caretakers and we think of ourselves as like mothers and wives and teachers and coaches and salespeople, whatever. Those are all roles. There's Those are not truly who we are. And so by sitting down and really kind of listening to yourself, you, you reconnect with what you truly are, which is love, generous, creative, um, funny, you know, whatever it is about you. But I think that as women, we get so disconnected from ourselves because we're told by society, you're too much, you're not enough, you're too aggressive, you're too shy, you're too fat, you're too thin. And it's also confusing and it really disconnects us from who we, we are. And we're almost like trained, right, to be nurturers and caretakers. So we fall into this space of not even knowing what our needs are, not knowing who we are. I've talked to so many women, and this happened to me, and I talk about it in the book, like I felt dutiful yet dead. And so I was kind of coming alive in alcohol because I couldn't even tell you what my own needs were. I just was checking off the boxes every day of taking care of everyone at work, everyone at home, you know, my marriage and like the only little bit of me time was my wine time. And so it's really a crappy consolation prize that we're giving ourselves of, as women where it's only further disconnecting us even more so from mm -hmm. our true nature. And so, um, you know, we don't have this earth school to learn. <laughs> we, my, my, my son, I swear to God, he's an old wise soul. He's like, mom, we really shouldn't go to college. We should just go to earth school after high school. I'm like, you're right. We really should to learn how to deal with life. <laughs> um, or at least have it as a, you know, minor or some classes in it in college. Um, so yeah, I think that, you know, it's, this is again, where I want women to not feel bad about themselves because we just haven't been given the tools or taught it. it's it's starting to become more mainstream right talking about these tools and this this type of rest and how to take care of our nervous system but it's just now kind of hitting mainstream and you know it's hard to you know unless you can afford therapy or coach or whatever getting these tools and learning how to do it mm -hmm. um but there's just so many um different you know, transformations on this journey. And I think the other lie that a lot of women fall 
back to what we were just talking about, going back to drinking is sober is boring. And so there's this huge fear that you will be boring. And um, I find that most women have told me they're like, I, I just go back to it because I want to go out with my friends. I'm afraid I'm going to lose my friends or it's the center of my marriage, which was, it was for me too. And so, you know, it's our connection time. And this is a big one on the journey that we don't talk a lot about, which is these, we may lose a few friends and those friends may have been the ones that the connection was more surface at the bar with the loud noises and the partying and all that. Um, I found that most of my friends were very supportive, but I gained so many new friends in the sober community that the connections were so deep and meaningful, like right away that I gained more than I lost. And the last thing I will say, and we can talk a little bit more about this, is that I find I am still in the transformation, even four years later with my husband on reconnecting without alcohol, because we we met when we were, you know, heavily steeped in our gray area drinking. And I'm fortunate that, and I know I'm in the minority, that he decided to quit along with me a few months after I did. And I know for the majority of women, their their spouses don't quit. Mm -hmm. um, and so I try to talk about the other women in my group who were in that boat. And I think there's a couple things that happen. One is that you're, you have to find a new rhythm of coming together. And so like we were trying to figure out like, okay, we both like to hike. We both like to bike. We both like to go to a comedy club. Like we, ha you have to like be intentional about finding new ways to connect. It's not just going to like happen because <laughs> when we would put the kids to bed and open up a bottle of wine and sit around, that was our connection time. And then there's another part of this, which was, I talk about in the book called being boring in the bedroom, <clears throat> which mm -hmm. I had always read that sex was like incredible when you're sober and for me at the beginning, it wasn't. So then I felt very like, what's wrong with me? Why isn't this incredible? And I felt like all of my wires of connection were dangling out, trying to find new connections. And I just couldn't find the outlets. I was exhausted many times early on in the, the journey. I felt raw, like I had no skin. Everything would irritate me that I usually would just kind of, right, soften the edges with, with a glass of wine. Mm -hmm. And so I was trying to get used to me. And yet you, then we expect our spouse to be like, oh, I love this new version of you. That's irritable. <laughs> and <laughs> You're great. <laughs> it takes time. <laughs> and so, you know, I don't, how do you feel about this? So I love this topic. This is like, I feel like my passion project in my sobriety journey. <laughs> Um, yeah, I felt very much the same way. I feel like when you are drinking, like, especially for me, it was, it was kind of an excuse like, oh, I'm drinking. So like I can hook up and it's, it's going to be fine. Like everything will be fine. Um, me and my husband separated, uh, like during my heavy drinking days and we recently got back together, mm -hmm. uh, maybe within the last like year and a half ish. And, um, so it, it was so unique because like I was celibate for a, a, probably like a year and a half I did not like I couldn't do anything and like god bless this man for staying with me because that was not fun in early sobriety I was anxious I was irritable I was stressed yeah. and and then he was you know unfortunately he was celibate too so <laughs> so he was not super happy but I had to relearn like alcohol gave me permission to blame it on the alcohol and to like use hooking up as a form of self-harm for me for sure like I just didn't care who what when where I was just like whatever like somewhat like anyone that has hurt me in the past like I had to hurt them first so mm -hmm. I I had really unhealthy habits so when I got sober and I was, you know, I had to relearn how to like my body and how to like myself. And I remember not like being sober the first time and just like being like, uh, like, uh, mm -hmm. like shuddered. I think, I think I cried after and I was yeah. just like, this is not fun. Like this isn't, yeah. I don't feel safe 
safe in this. And it wasn't because of my partner. It was just Right. So you're becoming something. this, you're unbecoming and becoming, and all of that is so trans, you know, you're, there's so much going on and changing on for you. Mm-hmm. And that takes time, right? That just it doesn't happen like overnight, you know, and this mm-hmm. instant gratification society we live in. And that's another lie, right? That you're just going <laughs> to like be sober and be like, yay, everything's great. You know, and no, you go through like this incredible transformation and there's that cocooning time frame of just like, don't touch me, you know, I need to like figure this out and everything is bothering me right now. (laughs) And I felt that I felt that when I was drinking, having sex was happening more often because I would just get drunk and just be like, yeah, sure, whatever, you know, and I never really listened to what I needed or wanted. I just gave into it because I was drunk. And Mm -hmm. so it was happening more often. And so that whole thing had to change too. And I, my husband was like, I feel like you don't love me. And I feel like you're not attracted to me. And I'm like, no, it's none of those things. It's just all systems are shutting down at eight o'clock right now. And like, I have got to, <laughs> I have got to honor my mind, body, and spirit. And I, I, I love Glennon Doyle's um, quote, like, it is your job to disappoint as many people around you, as long as you don't abandon yourself. And I was no longer willing to abandon myself to please everyone like I had when I was drinking. I was a huge people pleaser. And, but then I would drink down the regret and bitterness of pleasing everybody but myself, right? So I, I was always angry that I was taking care of everyone else and never myself. And I would drink it down, just like numb it out. And so when I started saying no to sex, that was hard for my husband because he took it as like that I was no longer attracted to him, but it wasn't that. It was like, I want to do this when I want to do it, not just because I'm wasted. Mm -hmm. Did you feel like that too? Like, it was just like, you had to kind of figure out a new rhythm. I was like, you know, we have to like do this earlier. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. A hundred percent. Yes. Like I was so used to like hooking up at like 2 AM, you know, it was never, it was never, well, it was at one point, but I had to relearn how to make it like kind of selfish. And I think that goes back to like learning to love yourself again in sobriety. Like we are as women overly sexualized and then kind of torn down when you talk about it or when you say like, Oh, I want like a B and C. I think it, it was kind of eye-opening to me as I started to like grow closer to myself and forgive myself for the mistakes I made while I was in active addiction and all those things. I kind of was like, had to learn what I liked, what I wanted, how I wanted it to go, what kind of like, not schedule, but like, yeah, what I, how when it was best for you. Exactly. That's very well put (laughs) Yeah, when it was best for me. And I needed to do that. And thank God I have a partner that I'm like a trust in who I openly communicated with him. And that was also a whole new world because I wasn't used to openly communicating with my partner. So I think that was also like something I never could have done. Yeah. I think sober sex forces you to say like, I like this. I don't like this. This time works better for me. This time doesn't like you have to say and communicate what you want and what you like. And that then does lead to better sex, right? Because you're actually mm-hmm. doing what you want when you want. <laughs> but if you don't have those conversations, it's like not fair to like, just put the onus on the other partner, whether they're drinking or not to just figure that out for you. Like it does, like you said, it's hard and mm-hmm. vulnerable to have these conversations. And you and I sound like we have very supportive partners who, who, you know, I have, I have a lot of sexual assault traumas in my past. And so that adds a whole nother level and layer to some of the issues for me in the bedroom. And so he's been so supportive and understanding of, you know, certain, the way he touches me and things like that. Like I can't handle certain things. Mm -hmm. And when I was drunk, I just wasn't communicating that. I was just like going with the flow, like I did with everything. And just like, again, people pleasing and not really listening to what my spirit, my little girl needed. And, um, and that, that transformation, I will tell you, I'm in year four is still happening in our relationship. We're still working on this. Um, so I think it's something that, like you said, I, 
is great that it's your passion project because I think we need to talk more about this so that we can see our when we can see ourselves and other people's stories it really gives us the permission slip to heal and explore it more mm-hmm. so I I applaud you for discussing it and and working on it because I don't think we talk about it enough I don't think we do either so I I mean I feel the same way about you I'm so happy you like talked about it in your book because there when we do experience because I've you know, sexual assault trauma as well, (laughs) um, to layer it up. So I think we're so ashamed. Like they're like, you can't talk about this because society, whether intentional or not, in my experience, anytime I talk about it, have found a way to bring it back to my own fault. Or like, if I hadn't done A, B and C and like, I hate the excuse. Oh, if you weren't drinking, it's like, like, give me a rest. Like, I don't want to hear that, but it's all those things come back never your fault is never your fault Mm -hmm. you know that 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 angers me so much like I have to interrupt you because I'm like my (laughs) my little girl's like no like not (laughs) okay you know I mean to say that because we were drinking too much you know and yes alcohol was involved in both of my incidences too but it it is not our fault and you know, just talking about it is re-traumatizing. I mean, it's, it's such a traumatic event. And so when women just even have to justify what happened to them, that is a, that's a trauma in and of itself. Like I just, I'll have no parts of that. Like that alcohol is an excuse to, to, to take advantage of somebody and violate somebody like that is just not okay. It's not at all. It's disgusting. And it's, yeah, it's terrible because I, for me, it was like a lot of people who I never thought they would think that way. Like my, my feminists, like pro, Mm. uh, like go you girl power friends were the ones saying stuff like that. So it was, it was really eye, Mm. eye opening, but I think, I think that's exactly why, like you said, we need to talk about it because there's a lot of people that feel that way. And it's hard for me to get, like, I would love someday to like get in the depths and details of like all of my stuff. Mm-hmm. But I know every time I talk about it, I have to take the next day off to like, yeah. <laughs> like because you know. you're re-traumatizing yourself. Yeah, you're re-bringing re- re- up all of that stuff that is stored in your body. And I had done talk therapy for years about it. And so I thought, oh, I've dealt with this. I'm fine. And then I don't know if you remember the show Euphoria, but my daughter was like mm-hmm. into that. And I watched the first two shows and I was sweating and shaking because of the scenes in there that are sexual assault scenes and I realized that this was is still in my body like that book the body keeps score like it was literally in my body and I was having a post-traumatic stress response to seeing it Mm-hmm. And so I, in my book, I do talk about this. Like I had to go through somatic therapy where I had to go back into my body to get it out. The The talk therapy was just not, not getting it out of my body. And so um, it is so much better than it was, but I don't know that it will ever go away. Like it's always kind of just laying there. I feel like it's almost like an eating disorder, right? It's always like kind of a little bit there, even though you've, been through recovery, you've done, you know, therapy and stuff like that. It's just kind of always lying there a little bit and you're always aware of it. Um, but it, I don't have the response that I used to have, but it was only due to somatic therapy. Yeah. I, I just recently learned about somatic therapy and I think it's, it's something I need to do as well. And I think this is also like important to say, like, it me and you are talking about this right now and it's so like hard for us we're still going through it and we have supportive partners like yeah it's so like I cannot imagine like I know the lack of support out there right now especially like for me and I have one at least one supportive person on my side that can tell anything too like it scares me for my friends or like people I know online like trying to get sober dealing with this and there's a lack of support like that is terrifying yeah It really is because it takes a lot of support and knowing that you're not alone and that these feelings are very valid and really having a trained therapist or coach who can walk through that trauma with you in a way that, you know, can ultimately get it out of your body, whether it's with EMDR or tapping or what have you, like there's so many modalities now 
-hmm. And what's, what breaks my heart is in this country, not everybody can afford that. I mean, therapy is really expensive. And so it's really a privilege. And I think about all the women that this has happened to that can't afford that kind of therapy. And so, you know, I think this is kind of goes to a larger issue in our country, which is mental health and the lack of support around it and the access to it. You know, I feel like it's something that our health insurance just should cover, you know, or that we could have at a more affordable rate. But yeah, I, I, yeah, I totally, totally agree with you on all of that. Like if, if you can find at least one trusted friend that you can confide in, like you said, that you have, sometimes that's all you need. You need to have your one safe person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's really important to know who your safe person is. And if you, for anyone listening, if you like, feel like you don't have that, um, I, me and Meg are here. Like we have Instagram DMs. I'm so grateful that it's accessible. Instagram's a free platform. Like, you know, no one's above asking for help. So we'd love to get you some resources. And in the show notes, I'm going to link some resources for like those types of issues. Um, because I like talking about sex, like I said, it's my passion project, but that doesn't mean it's always easy. And that doesn't mean that I've had the cutest sexual history. So, (laughs) so there's nothing to it. Neither have I. But I, I mean, back to our relationships, you know, I have the, a lot of women that I've talked to when they have quit, but their husbands haven't, they've said that they, they're drinking a lot less and what a win, right? That mm-hmm. if your spouse doesn't quit, but drinks less, I think that's a huge win in your relationship. And they, the question always comes up like, well, what, sometimes it gets on my nerves that he gets drunk and I'm sober. And I think you have to create some boundaries around it where- <laughs> you know, let's say you have a date night, you have to say, you know, to your husband on our date night, I would really appreciate if you would not drink tonight, tomorrow night, if you want to watch football and drink and do whatever you want or go out with the boys, I'm cool with that. But tonight, can we make this tonight our night with not drinking? And I think again, if you have a supportive partner who understands, you know, that that can allow you to be able to really enjoy those moments with your spouse. Ultimately, this journey is is for you and you alone. We can't change anyone. We can't fix, rescue, make people quit. We have to do it for ourselves. But I do believe that you are being a role model, not only in your marriage, but in your family and with your friends. I've had so many people over the past four years come forward and say, you know, I've been watching you and, and everything that you have now in your life. And I am, it's making me want that too. And, or I've cut back since I've seen like, especially with all the new non-alcoholic drinks that are available now, you know, it just is so great to have these options. And the last thing I'll say is like, what back to our kids, um, my daughter and I, when we go out to restaurants, we have fun when we see a zero proof menu because she'll be like, Ooh, I'm trying the blueberry lemonade. And I'm like, I'm trying the strawberry mojito and we switch and we have fun. And she's in high school. She's getting ready to go into college, but I want her to know that she can go out and have fun with these drinks and that they're available to her, that she doesn't always have to choose alcohol just because everybody else is right. That I love seeing when these choices are available on the menu, that it's inclusive and allows us to feel part of the festivities without all the crap. Mm -hmm. I think that's really important. And I love the feeling of like my kids see me with a fancy glass or like you said, out at a restaurant and they're like, mom, can I have a sip? Yeah, go ahead. You can have a sip. Like of anything I'm drinking, I love that I'm that mom. Like I remember when I was like seven, maybe a little bit younger, but someone, one of my aunts, I can't remember which one had a beer. They were like, I was like, can I have a sip? They were like, yeah. And I like took a sip immediately threw it up everywhere. It was like, it was, I was like, why do adults drink this? This is so gross. So your body was like, this is poison. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, Oh, who would have (laughs) thought? Yeah. We, I actually got a, um, 
um, a zero proof cocktail that had like the fake liquor in it. And I didn't even kind of realize it. And she wanted to try it and take a sip. And she was like, ew, this is so disgusting. I was like, well, this is what alcohol tastes like. <laughs> <laughs> and so she was like, ew, I'm like, you don't have it. We have to cover it up with a bunch of sugar <laughs> to make it palatable. You know, it's really, really gross by itself. <laughs> it really is. I, I just had like a non-alcoholic whiskey or something at one of the events we just hosted and I got it because all the guys were drinking it and then I was like <laughs> like it was like burning me <laughs> yeah um, I mean some of these tastes were just like it <laughs> they really do it's so crazy but yeah I mean yeah it's cool for people that like that taste I yeah know I know anyone. it's triggering for some and for some it's the way you surf the crave so to each yeah. Their own. Yeah, yeah exactly so um before we you know let you go about your day uh, what do you think is the most shocking thing about your sobriety or sobriety in general? Uh, it was the spiritual awakening for me. It's, Ooh. um, yeah, I could talk about it. We could talk a whole nother hour, but, um, yeah. when I, I did a post this morning, like I, when I was drinking and it wasn't a ton, but even just the few glasses of wine a night, I would wake up like in a slight fog. The My lens to see each day was like a slight shade of gray. And it wasn't until I quit drinking that life became more vibrant and technicolor. And I'm not saying there aren't hard days. There are. But now I see things that I never saw when I was drinking. And I have this in the book. It's called Find the Beauty in the Day. And so when I go on walks... I look for the rock that's in the shape of a heart or the leaf that's in the shape of a heart or the sunset or the tree or the flower or the bird or whatever it is that brings me joy. And I take a picture of it and I usually post it on Instagram. And if you follow me, you'll see that I, I do this often. I see angel numbers now. I never saw those before. And so I, that lets me know I'm being loved and held through this journey and that I'm on the right path. Um, I feel more spiritually connected to everyone and everything, whether you call it God, divine, whatever it is that you call it, universe. I feel like it's all one and we're all so connected to each other. And so um, I just, every day I'm looking for the awe and wonder and beauty of the day because I, when you're drinking, you're either working off a hangover or you're kind of checked out and or thinking about a drink and you're just missing out on all the beauty that this life has to offer. Mm -hmm. And that, I didn't expect that when I, when I <laughs> quit drinking, I was like, wow, look at all this incredible <laughs> stuff. <laughs> it's pure magic. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I I could talk a whole nother hour too on it. I think, <laughs> I think it's great when you like, you know, what regardless of religion, like I just feel like when you like see God and like have a relationship yeah. with whatever, I think it's so beautiful and it's so precious to me. Um yeah. so I love that. I think that's a lot of people relate to that. Yes. It's the best, it's one of the best gifts on this journey. I mean, there's so many gifts that just this journey keeps giving you, but that one is like, to me, it's kind of the fun in the day. You know, I look for mm -hmm. it every day and I, it's like the little girl in me used to play in the woods, you know, I get excited to find it and it brings me so much joy and, um, it's life is just waiting for us. It's just so beautiful. It really is. And I love that. Find the beauty in every day. I think that's something we can all do. And just yeah. cute little things we can we can kind of look out for little yes. gifts to ourselves. <laughs> yes yes shifts well, to an attitude for gratitude <laughs> exactly exactly yeah. um is there any other words of wisdom to anyone listening who might be new in their sobriety journey or about anything else we talked about I would just say to stay connected, um, you know, isolation is not good. <laughs> and so um, the antidote, right, to addiction is connection. And so just find your people, find your tribe, find the sober Instagram community is so loving and welcoming mm -hmm. and supportive. Just in rewiring your brain, it takes time. But if you start following a lot of sober accounts, you are you are subliminally by reading those messages, rewiring your brain and just stay curious, like stop the shame and the guilt and just stay curious. Know that you are a student of life. 
you're always changing, evolving and growing. And so, of course, you did the best you could yesterday and you just have to celebrate who you were at that time and keep moving forward in this journey. And I can promise you it will be the best decision of your life. I love that. Um, can you tell everyone where to find you and any other like, um, I know you said you had like a writing group, things like that. Yeah. So um, my website is intoxicatinglies.com. You can get a signed copy of my book there. Um, I'm starting a wait list for my next cohort of, for it's called Write, W-R-I-T-E, Back to You. You do not need to be a writer, but you, I would say if you like to journal or you are curious about reconnecting with your inner knowing and you're in that phase of your journey, it's a very supportive community of women where we um, talk about a different topic each month, such as intuition. Um, and then we do journal prompts on it and we discuss it. And um, it's just this creative place to slow down, get back into our bodies. We do a grounding meditation there too. Um, and so for some women, this is the only time that they can slow down. So I encourage everybody to like come in their PJs and with a you know cup of tea and let's just spend some time together in a safe space. Um, I'm usually always on Instagram, which is intoxicating lies book, which is attached to my Facebook. Um, and those are the two social media platforms that I'm on. And my book intoxicating lies is sold everywhere books are available. So you can find it anywhere. And I just released the audio version of it. So it's now available. On Apple. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, yeah. Exciting. <laughs> well, this was a great conversation. I am so happy you came on. I learned so much talking to you myself. So I'm really grateful that you took the time to come on and hang out with us. Oh, Trina, I enjoyed our conversation and thank you for just being so vulnerable too and having this wonderful conversation together. I hope that it helps somebody out there listening. So thank you. Yeah, I hope it did too. All right, I will see you later. Bye. Guys, if you liked today's episode, go ahead and rate and review on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you take a screenshot and tag us at The Retired Party Girl so we can see what episode you're listening to. If you have any thoughts, ideas, or questions, go ahead and send us a DM on Instagram or email us trina at theretiredpartygirl.com. Thanks for listening to another episode of Sober Shockingly.